the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there for Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I think I could get used to this, Ken Flo, waking up after a pay-per-view, and while it's all fresh on the brainstem, cracking a microphone, it's Sunday, August 16th, 2020, episode 263 of the Anakin Florian podcast. There's no way if the NFL is playing football that I would ever devote part of my NFL Sunday to anything but the National Football League, but... It's great to be with you. So, Ken Flo, you're going to Washington, D.C. tomorrow to help Ryan Hall get ready for his Ricardo Lamas fight. Is that accurate? I, I am. I am indeed. I'm just glad that you woke up, man. Yeah, he's got a fight, obviously, at the end of the month. But uh, you are a very busy man. Thank you for doing this on oh, a Sunday, it's, dude. It's my absolute pleasure. Do you know when that Hall Lamas fight is, by the way? Or is he August, close? August 29th. Oh, yeah. So, so this pretty much time. heading into the last week of hard training. And, yeah. Uh, we're excited, man. Lamas is a, a beast coming in with a whole lot of skills that I don't think Ryan has faced before. Obviously taking it very seriously. This is the second uh, go at it, obviously right. with the, the COVID cancellation originally uh, from a few months ago. So uh, I'm glad these guys are, are able to run it back. Are you cornering him August 29th? I will be there. I will oh. be in Vegas. Are you going to be there? Wait, let, let me guess. The one the one that you're not commentating, I'm not going to be able to see my buddy Anik. So we need to get our schedules more alive. <laughs> I was in a good mood about 60 seconds ago, and now I am bummed out because I yeah. am still here in Las Vegas, as you can see. If you don't like my hotel room, I don't I don't know what to tell you. And if you don't like my Daniel Cormier T-shirt, I don't know what to tell you either. OK, I stand by all three calls in the trilogy. Really don't care uh, if that does not dovetail with your opinion. I respect your opinion. But at this point, I slept great last night. But I'm wearing this in respect for my friend who is no longer competing in mixed martial arts. I also consider Stipe a friend. The guy asks about my son every chance he gets so i sleep well at night um but yeah that's disappointing i'm working august 22nd munoz edgar i'm not working august 29th i feel like i might want to fucking change that just so i could see your goddamn face <laughs> seriously dude it's been too long uh but it, it will be good to be in vegas good to be at the apex center i'm excited for his fight uh and in regards to your calls i, I again you're, you're a true professional man i know that it's hard to separate that as someone who has had to do that many times um, you are able to separate that friendship extremely well. You call it like you see it and uh, another phenomenal job last night. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I will say because my relationship with you goes so far back that I do think if I was asked to call one of your fights in if you were still competing in 14, 2015, 2016, I don't know if I could have been able to separate that enough. I'd be so anxious to think about you like going back to your room and fucking listening to that back. Uh, but I digress. So we got to recap UFC 252. We'll get to some of your tweets, obviously, as well. Uh, Ray Longo is in transit from JFK to Garden City, New York. So we will talk to him uh, coming up here in about a half an hour if he can get on a clean line. I actually got to touch his lettuce in Las Vegas. We were not wow. socially distant. I grabbed the hair. It's incredible. I don't know how clean it was. It felt pretty fucking grungy. It's like an Amazon forest, that yeah. thing. It's beautiful. 
Yeah. It is incredible, though. I mean, he does not look uh, north of 60, that is for sure. But so much to get into. I feel like we're already chasing the clock and probably will spend 15 minutes or so on this main event alone. Uh, but Stipe Miocic takes this fight there by the trilogy and thereby a lot of superlatives when it comes to his all-time greatness. 49-46 uh, times two. Dissenting judge had it 48-47. So one judge gave DC round one. Uh, one judge gave DC round four. One judge gave DC rounds one and four. So two, three, and five were steep A across the board. So many goddamn layers to this kite fight, Ken Flo. But I feel like it was, it was a close fight at times. But I feel like overall it was a pretty clear win for Steep A. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty clear win for Stipe as well. Um, you know, you, you definitely have an argument that he won the first round. I thought he was a little bit busier earlier in the fight. Uh, if I'm being honest, I thought Daniel did a great job of turning it up late in that first round. Uh, and he was winning that second round, but at the very end, Stipe able to steal it and getting the knockdown, getting that mount, landing some heavy shots, creating that hematoma, I believe, originally over the right eye of DC in that second round. Um, and I, I thought it, it did not bode well for DC. When you saw the start of that fight, you say, this is the steep a that ended that second fight against Daniel Cormier. He was moving laterally. He was sticking and moving. He was getting that jab flowing. He was attacking the body early on. And I think that was really kind of confusing DC. Uh, and, and just overall, I thought Stipe was in command of that fight for the most part. I thought Daniel landed some really heavy blows, especially from that collar tie uh, in tight. Um, but Stipe, we know about that legendary chin. This guy is as tough as they come. Uh, it was a classic fight. This is one of those fights that it was close and Stipe definitely won. But there is no loser here. Both guys are so respected, have accomplished everything you could possibly accomplish in this sport. Uh, two legends, two legends went at it last night. And, uh, unfortunately for DC, Stipe was able to pull it off. So it's always hard to write a text to your friends after they lose a fight like this. I texted DC last night and I think what would be interesting to our listeners is he said, the reality is my biggest mistake was round two. I was winning that round and didn't fight till the final bell. So, uh, that round wouldn't necessarily have won him the fight, but he feels like if he didn't let the foot off the gas in round two, that maybe the outcome would have been different. And I do think the cardio was, was in his head a little bit, not that he was trying to preserve his gas tank per se, but I don't think that he just went in there to knock his head off and uh i think if he had gone in there and tried to knock his head off or wrestled or maybe you know not tried out point him over 25 minutes you just don't know with heavyweight mma but uh i don't know man what do you think about the lack of wrestling on the dc side well i think that's an important statement that you just read from from daniel i i think that um you know, for a lot of people, they don't understand, you know, you work so hard to win the majority of a round and seeing it slip through your fingers like that at the very end uh, is disheartening and can be discouraging for a fighter. So I think that probably had its effect on DC to a certain extent in regards to his conditioning. Yeah, it, it definitely could have been better. It seemed like he was really trying to pace himself out there. Fighting at heavyweight is a different beast, I think, for Daniel in a lot of ways and fighting an experienced and tough a uh, guy like Stipe, who does come from a wrestling background as well, you got to conserve your energy. You, you got to be smart in how you grapple and how you, how efficient you are with your takedowns. DC, as good as he is, sometimes gets a little excited to waste a lot of energy getting those takedowns. Um, he didn't want to make that same mistake against yeah. Stipe. Stipe, as as far as his conditioning, is a heavyweight, perhaps one of the best ever, along Amazing. with Cain Velasquez. Right there, Th with those him. guys just don't get tired. They can keep that pace, and I think that worried Daniel. 
Um, so it, it's tough, man. And I know D DC, I don't want to reveal anything, but I know he struggled with some things in camp that may have affected his conditioning. Um, I'll wait for him to, to release that information. So right. that was tough too. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on in camp that, that people don't hear about. And I think maybe it, it could have got the better of him either way. Yeah. Stipe won that fight fair and square. I don't want to no, use that as an excuse. No, of course. There was a lot of things uh, that, that Daniel was dealing with. But in terms of Stipe, I was just so impressed watching this unfold for him over 25 minutes. I miss the crowd, okay? I, I like some of the intimacy, but at this point, I'm over it, right? I want a big mm. crowd. I want a 30-foot octagon. I want all of it. But Stipe obviously could hear every word out of Marcus Marinelli and his coach's mouths can flow, but he just listens and they strategized and they game plan. And obviously DC in his post-fight interview, you heard with Joe Rogan, he didn't have an answer for those double underhooks and for Stipe to get underneath, you know, there's a big height difference here and height's not always an advantage, but for Stipe to leverage DC in those situations and render him, you know, immobile for, for huge stretches of time. Uh, that was part of the game plan to run clock for Stipe. He was masterful. Uh, there's no doubt about it. He really was masterful. He's a guy who truly listens to his corner. Uh, Big kudos, um, you know, to, to his his camp. Um, not one of the uh, biggest camps in the world. People don't, you know, rant and rave about his coaching, but yeah. they're obviously doing something right over there. And you could see it. I mean, Stipe just continually gets better every single time out. He did his homework. That was clear. I thought he did a great job of nullifying the wrestling of Daniel Cormier. Uh, he was clearly the, the taller guy. Um, but even in, in the clinch, it seemed like he was able to really kind of muscle DC around. And I think a lot of that had to do with his ability to get those double underhooks. He was nullifying those trips and takedowns and high crotch takedowns from Daniel Cormier. Uh, and it looked like he was kind of bullying DC around. I think that range and strength yeah. really was a factor in that fight this time around. Stipe just seemed way more comfortable in the clinch. Uh, didn't give DC that respect. And once you're able to nullify uh, that wrestling advantage, I think DC's a, a much, I don't want to say easy guy to deal with, but easier, much easier guy to deal with. And I think once Stipe felt comfortable in that wrestling range, I, I think he just felt like he was going to slowly pull away from him. And I think that's what he did. His coaches were saying during fight week that they felt like he was ready to sort of present the best version to date. And I think in a lot of respects, he he really did do that and, and handled the adversity well when it came. His chin obviously held up. So big picture for Stipe. And I, I don't always find the all-time great conversation to be fascinating. But my angle on this with Stipe, in terms of his UFC accomplishments, there's not even a close second right now. But a lot of our listeners were chiming in on social media how does Kenny think a prime Cain Velazquez or a mm. prime Fedor Emelianenko matches up with Stipe Miocic? Because I probably would go Cain Velazquez minus 140 as a betting favorite in his prime over Stipe as I sit here right now. So on any given Saturday night, uh, do I think Cain Velazquez in his prime was better than Stipe or as good as Stipe? I do. Um, what do you think? Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I do think that both Stipe and Kane in their prime um, would give some fits to Fedor in their prime. I just think that the wrestling of Kane Velasquez um, would help nullify, uh, you know, what Fedor could do on the feet. Um, I do think Fedor was the speedier guys out of out of everybody there, uh, a true knockout threat. Um, but I, I do have Fedor probably in that second or third spot, most likely that third spot. Now, between Stipe and Kane, I think you could be right. I think Kane is the better wrestler. 
Um, but Stipe is the guy who has true knockout power. Um, so I don't know, man, in a five yeah. rounder, who gets more tired? Who's got the better conditioning? Right. That's a right. tough one to call. Right. And I think that um, Kane would have a very tough time taking Stipe down. Um, and it would be an interesting exchange on the feet. It would be one that would, um, you know, be a classic. I can't believe we never got a chance to see it, but I don't know, man. I, I think, uh, I think Stipe, uh, I don't has a very strong argument yeah. as being the best heavyweight of all time. And again, it's not like I'm racing to the window to bet Kane minus 140. I just sometimes feel like Kane Velasquez's name is conveniently left out of this conversation for one reason or another. So I wanted to give it a little shine to cardio Kane's all. No, definitely. And I think, you know, to go back to, to Stipe a little bit, I think another thing that makes him great and similar to Cain Velasquez is the fact that this is a guy who doesn't get overly excited over things. He's an EMT. He's a fireman. He's dealt with some crazy things yeah. outside of the octagon. Nothing's going to get him very excited. He was definitely uh, showing more of his personality in his post by press conference. But you see the way he handles adversity, the way he handles a tough fight. Um, this is a guy who's always calm, cool, and collected. And uh, I think that was the difference in this fight as well. It is such a great point. You know, sometimes he's reserved and, and quiet and, and short-winded. And I think a lot of it is right. He's calm. He's cool. He's collected. He's even keeled. Probably has a great resting heart rate and all that. So yeah. we congratulate Stipe Miacic. A lot of other angles to get into. Daniel Cormier, his legacy is entrenched, you know simultaneous two-division champion. George St. Pierre is going to headline the class of 2020, but you got to think Daniel Cormier headlines the UFC Hall of Fame induction class of 2021. Uh, it's always interesting when you talk about a fighter walking away because I talked about last week that I didn't think this was going to be final for Daniel Cormier. I thought if maybe the Brock Lesnar fight would materialize or a John Jones trilogy... But you never know how a fight is going to unfold. And given this eye injury, and I do think that uh, that it will heal and hopefully the vision won't be compromised long term or anything like that. Um, but, you know, you don't want to get poked in that eye in another fight. Right. Like, I do believe the nature of this fight is such that maybe at this point he would be OK walking away, despite the fact that he'll have to hear two four, look at his Wikipedia page and see those two red marks for the rest of his life. Definitely. And listen, there, there's no shame. I mean, DC has accomplished, uh, you know, what few will ever accomplish uh, in mixed martial arts. Um, I, I do feel like even though he did have an eye, uh, an eye poke against Stipe, um, you kind of knew that after that eye poke, DC was not going to be the same heading into it, whether he confirmed whether he could see or not. You knew that right. that eye was going to be compromised. Uh, and Again, I feel like from there, Stipe was able to take advantage, able to move a little bit better. Uh, DC was throwing with a little bit more heat, uh, but you know his accuracy, of course, is going to be compromised as well. And it's a tough situation to deal with. Uh, DC will be a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about that. Um, he has an awesome career as a commentator and a coach and whatever the heck he wants to do. Uh, he's an amazing father, amazing family man, and um, you know, Either way, this is a legacy that any fighter would be proud of. The fact that he was able to win two world championships in two yeah. different weight classes, beat some of the best to ever compete inside the octagon. Um, DC will always be remembered as one of the best competitors, one of the best athletes to ever do it. All right, the eye pokes. I buried the lead a little bit, but I just didn't want to spend 10 minutes on them. Yeah. So I'm going to try to be efficient. Okay, first eye poke, DC on Stipe. Mm -hmm. Pretty bad one. I mean, not nearly as bad as the one we saw later in the fight, but bad enough that DC effusively apologized, perhaps overly apologetic in some part because of the pokes in the second fight, which became mm -hmm. a huge part of the narrative for that second meeting at UFC 241. 
I poke of Stipe on DC, obviously unintentional. One of the worst ones I've ever seen, though, Ken Flo, knuckle deep. And fighters know when they've been poked in the eye. We talked about this before the show. It is very hard for referees and commentators to see whether or not it's a punch or an eye poke in real time. But a fighter knows. That being said, Ken Flo, if a referee doesn't see it, they are not to stop the action based upon a self-regulation by the athlete, as I understand it. Your thoughts? Yes. Man, there's there's a lot to unpack there. I, I think, you know, what makes a referee elite in a lot of ways is their ability to stay uh, within themselves and not kind of just listen to everyone. They have to be really focused and block out everybody saying whatever the heck, right? Um, so I think in a lot of ways, Mark Goddard, because of his experience and he's a, you know, kind of a determined referee who believes what he believes in immediately just dismissed DC's yeah, eye yeah. poke thing. I mean, I, I believe he said, no, that was a punch DC, blah, blah, blah. Again, you know, it's one thing to say you didn't see it, but don't say it was a punch and then say, oh, I didn't see it. Blah. So, you know, again, it, their job is extremely difficult. Mark, Mark Goddard, you know, it has been one of the best referees, um, you know, in the world when it comes to mixed martial arts. And uh, he does have a ton of experience, but you're going to make a mistake. It's tough yeah. to see everything. Um, but in a guy as experienced as DC, um, you, you kind of have to assume right. that he's telling you the truth there. Right. And I don't know that was that was unfortunate all the way around, you know, and it was close to the end of the round, which was lucky yeah. for DC, but that was tough. I feel, I do feel like that was a, a huge momentum shift. And as you will probably find out in a few days, I mean, DC is the furthest thing from an excuse maker. So had the ringside physician got involved, I don't know if DC would have lied about his vision, but when DC says he's seeing black and can't see, I can assure you the dude can't see. Yeah. And man, would that have been anticlimactic if that was the end of the fight? Because again, for Mark Goddard, he missed it. He apologized to team Cormier. Uh, but then you think, well, what would have happened if he didn't miss it? He stops the action. RP comes in, might've been the end of the fight right there. Could very well have been. And absolutely. And to be explicit here, I guess, you know, um, for those who don't know, if you tell the ringside doctor or if you tell the referee that you can't see out of one or two eyes, uh, the fight is going to be over. Oh, over. They're going yeah. to stop it immediately, whether you set it by mistake or not. If you say you can't see out of one of your eyes, they're going to stop the fight immediately. So in some ways, it was a good thing. Uh, DC did say that in the round, I think, to his corner. No one else kind of heard it, it looked like. Yeah. He was able to continue, and DC, being the, the tough son of a bitch that he is, kept yeah. fighting on. Um, but I, I'm just glad that it wasn't uh, something like a, uh, you know, a torn retina or something serious that, that Michael Bisping has experienced. And, um, you know, it looks like he's going to be recover be able to recover in a few days. But, you know, getting hit in the eye is absolutely brutal. I mean, ha getting hit with a thumb in a boxing glove is not fun. Right. But with the, just the nature of those MMA gloves, um, there's just not a great solution out there. Because, again, w what we do is not just striking. We, we, we try to grapple. We need to grip and grab. Um, so until we find a better glove, this is what just what's going to happen until the referee's just on it about those hands being open and close to the face. And even on the gloves, all the seams and yeah, itching exactly. and uh, exactly. a lot of opportunities to have abrasions and things. So real quickly on Goddard, you know, he apologized sincerely to team Cormier, but someone commented on his post and, and this would be my criticism or my line of thinking. And I know Kenny, you agree with this. And I apologize for not having the Twitter handle of the commenter, but he said, it's one thing to say, I can't call what I can't see. Right. Which is what I'm asking for a referee yes. to say. 
It's another thing to say, you were punched, Daniel, sit down, my friend. Your default shouldn't be so confident if you actually didn't see it. You have a hard job, no doubt, and I don't mean any disrespect, and nor do I, but therein lies the rub for me. Don't demonstratively tell Daniel to sit down and that you said you saw a punch when when you you can't it when the truth is that you can't call what you can't see right absolutely and and that's that's the problem I, I think as a referee you need to balance your ability to um you know be unbiased and stick to your guns but also you, you also can't just make something up and, and you know, you also need to be able to listen to an experienced fighter like a Daniel Cormier, a former champion, two weight classes and, and and trust him to a certain extent, especially if there was something close to his face and he's kind of grabbing his eye and turning away. We see it a lot. Um, and I, I think Herb Dean is one of those guys that does a good job of listening to the fighter in those instances and, and being on top of it. But again, what they do is extremely difficult. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Mark's going to learn from that. All right, I think we have exhausted the main event. Uh, in the nature of time, we'll move it on to the co-main event, the biggest win of the career of the Ecuadorian Marlon Ooh. Chito Vera by TKO over Sugar Sean O'Malley, who obviously got injured in the fight, but hopefully th- that does not take too much shine away from Cheeto, who takes Sean O'Malley's O in a big way. Ken Flo, what do you think? My goodness, what a performance from Cheeto. Um, you know, I thought that uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley was doing a good job earlier in that fight. He was good, doing really well with his feints, as he typically does, keeping the proper range. But uh, Cheeto is another one of those guys you knew he was not going to go away. Cheeto uh, can have a tendency of getting off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, he was able to adjust a little bit. Uh, and you saw him hit that, uh, that calf kick that affects that uh, peroneal nerve. Uh, and that affects your ability to, you know, for flexion, uh, both plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. And I think that really um, uh, affected uh, O'Malley at the end of the day. You, you look at him try to, trying to step. We've seen it with Henry Cejudo uh, before. It affects your ability to flex your foot and get rooted to the mat. And I think that's what happened. Right. He stepped. He put all his weight on his toes. He, you know, sprained his ankle. Uh, and from there, O'Malley was highly compromised against a killer like a Cheeto Vera. You're in trouble. He, he, he was, he's going hunting at that point. He sees blood and he's going to take you out. Cheeto Vera did absolutely the right thing. It was unfortunate for O'Malley, but let's not pretend that this was just O'Malley, you know, stepping in a pothole or right, tripping. Right, right, it was, right. it was because of Cheeto's calf kick. Those calf kicks are brutal. You know, I talk about them all the time. I'm glad yeah. that wasn't a very popular thing when I was fighting, but that could really just one kick can really screw up your ability to plant your foot on the mat properly. So how about Ken Flo just dropping a perennial nerve on you? Like it's absolutely <laughs> nothing. I mean, he comes from a medical family. Dr. Gus Florian <laughs> is one of our most loyal listeners to the Anakin Florian podcast, but it's just incredible. I mean, you sound like Dr. Kenneth Allen Florian when you just start <laughs> dropping perennial nerves. <laughs> I, I am not a doctor, but I have heard from one source that perhaps it's only a high ankle sprain on O'Malley, mm. which would certainly be music to my ears. He had the Lisfranc Frank foot injury and the ensuing surgery uh, from that injury sustained in the Andre Sukumtot fight. So Tyler Nolan, one of our listeners, wants to know how badly do you think O'Malley's future title contention, even getting to the top five, is in jeopardy with the recurring injury he seems to have? I can't sit here on a Sunday after the fight and tell you that this is definitely a recurring injury. But I would say for a guy who's 25 years old, who's fought five or six times in the UFC, to have two of those fights end in some part because of an injury, um, 
it's it's not ideal, Ken Flo. I mean, this is a setback, and I think mentally it's going to be a big hurdle. No, absolutely, and I'm not going to pretend to be a, a medical expert at all. I'm definitely not one. Um, but I, I will say that um, you know, for O'Malley, here's a guy that's only almost, almost six foot tall, uh, and he's a 135 pounder. You know, he's not uh, a guy who's built. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, like uh, a short squat, you know, guy like a Daniel Cormier, for example. Um, you know, he's lanky, and and sometimes those guys can be susceptible to injury. Um, for Sean, you know, again, he's just going to have to go back to the proper rehab uh, and, and ready for that. I, I think it's just the nature of the calf kick more than anything else. Uh, Cheeto Vera did a great job of identifying that, landing it, hurting uh, O'Malley, and... Uh, you know, when you're built a little bit more lanky, uh, you have to be better as far as how you take care of yourself, I guess, you know, um, whether it's doing the, the proper prehab and all that stuff. But even then, it's just the sport's brutal, man. You, you get hit, you get hurt. Yeah. So for Marlon Chito Vera, and I'm trying to not be too repetitive, but I had a drink with him when he was one and two in the UFC after the Davy Grant fight in London. He thought he was going to get cut. He wasn't sure what was going on. I assured him that was not going to be his fate. But now here he is tied with TJ Dillashaw as the most prolific finisher in UFC Bantamweight history. He's finished, I think, eight of his nine UFC wins or nine of ten at this point. Bro, I mean, I would certainly stop at calling him an overachiever, but it's incredible to think that this is a championship-level fighter and contender right now. I mean, am I overstating it? Like, I'm excited to see what he can do against the top ten. He's got a lot of tools, a lot he, of good coaches. He really does, man, and, and that's why I felt like he was a guy that you can't sleep on. Um, you know, Cheeto really does have a lot of skills. He continues to get better, uh, and with the improvement of his skills, you're seeing uh, a maturation and – um, I think a confidence that he just didn't have from a few years ago when we originally had him on the podcast when he was early in his UFC career. And he's one of those nice guys who's had to deal with a lot. Uh, he takes pride in being able to provide for, for his family. A guy who moved from Ecuador, now living in Southern California, has been able to provide an amazing life for him and his family. Uh, it's just an awesome story. You know, y these are the kind of story, feel good stories that you want to have in mixed martial arts. Cheeto is a guy who I do believe um, will go very far in this sport. I think this is just the beginning. I think you look at the way that these guys were meeting up, something big was going to happen. W one of these guys was going to really elevate, uh, and Cheeto just seemed like he was in the right spot to steal everything that O'Malley uh, had worked for. Um, Cheeto also has taken that long road, and when you see two fighters that are coming up in this in this fashion – you can't ignore the dude who's been there for a long time. And Cheeto has been working hard for many years. A lot of times we look at undefeated records and how quickly guys are finishing other guys, but that's that. Yes, that might be a sign of skill, but it might not be the sign of the kind of game gameness and longevity that you look for in a mixed martial arts fighter. Cheeto has that. And I do believe he's going to make that run up to the belt. I, I truly do. I, I don't know if he could pull it off, but man, don't doubt him. Uh, he's very determined right now. Uh, he's confident. Um, he's speaking like he truly believes it. And, and that is a dangerous guy. That's well put. He's an emotional guy. But as I said on the broadcast, he certainly doesn't fight emotionally. I mean, he was so locked in during fight week and I could go on and on. Right. 15th UFC appearance. He's still just 27 years old. He's never been finished. One of the hardest workers in the game. Eats clean is in a championship mindset. 
365 days a year. He probably works out 350 days a year. You know about his daughter, obviously, his eldest daughter of three kids who had the Mobius syndrome and yes. couldn't smile because she couldn't use those muscles in her face. And he was able to finance the surgery, and now she can smile. I mean, Cheeto Vera's on top of the world, and uh, I, I couldn't possibly express how happy I am for that young man. On the other side, it's obviously a setback for O'Malley. You know I love to talk about these setbacks. You lose a fight. It's like a two- or three-year setback. But uh, we'll see where Sean O'Malley goes from here. There's no doubting the ability. But health is now part of the narrative with him, not unlike a Dominic yeah. Cruz, whose injury sort of intervened later in his career. This is really something Sean's going to have to deal with. Uh, you got anything else on the co-main, or can I move on to Biggie Boy? Let's do it, man. Jarzinho Rosenstrike. I just felt like this was such a smart, methodical, counterattacking effort out of him. And uh, this is a scary individual. You know, after this fight, I was thinking, you know what? Now I understand why he called out Francis Ngannou because, you know, if he if he fights like that and just sort of gets on a bicycle for the first 60 seconds, you know, maybe that rematch is, is competitive. What do you think about Biggie Boy? You know, listen, this is a guy who uh, clearly has the kind of power where he can knock out anyone in that division. Um, you can get the sense that he was really trying to take in what Junior DeSantis was doing. Um, he was computing, he was analyzing, uh, and then he kind of, once he figured it out, you see him kind of start to walk forward more and more confidently, uh, looking for that counter shot, looking for uh, shots to, uh, to hurt Junior DeSantos. He ended up doing that. Um, it was a brutal knockout. Uh, this is a guy that is extremely dangerous um, and doesn't have a whole lot of experience, but with every fight, man, he's getting better and gaining more momentum and confidence. He's one of those guys. I don't think a whole lot of people want to fight right now, uh, and getting a win over a legend, um, like, like Dos Santos is, is definitely going to, uh, get him a lot of fans and get him a lot, you know, get him noticed by a lot of different people. So, uh, awesome way to come back there for Rosenstrike, who suffered one of the more brutal knockouts oh, there yeah. at the hands of Francis Ngannou. You don't always know how a fighter's going to come back. And he was a little hesitant early on. I said, Oh man, has he changed since that, since his fight against right, Ngannou right. was not the case. He got it done. Tough to see Mr. Congeniality junior Dos Santos suffer a third consecutive loss. I know he came in sort of, talking about these championship aspirations and sort of felt like he might be a dark horse to make a second run, but this is obviously going to make that uh, a, a distant proposition for him. Yeah. Uh, how about Daniel, the pit Pineda over Herbert, the blaze burns always nice when the guy who makes weight beats the guy who doesn't right. But for Daniel Pineda cut from the UFC unceremoniously at 28 years old, comes back at 35. He's got more than 40 pro fights, little baby at home nothing really amounting to a training camp, but a uh, lot of veteran savvy, a lot of ability, 27th pro win flow, 27 finishes. What else can you say? That's unbelievable. Uh, and Pineda's always been one of those guys who's been exciting to watch, whether he wins or loses, always brings it. Um, but again, this was another guy, Pineda, just, that just seemed different. Even when he was in some really tough spots, you could see it in his eyes and his face. He was not going to go away. And, I think for Burns, I don't know whether it was whatever happened leading up to that weight cut, but he just kind of ran out of gas, man. And Panetta was just kind of getting started. Uh, and man, when it was his turn to step on the gas, he did exactly that. The grounded pound was brutal. Oh, the escapes yeah. was the escapes were beautiful. Uh, once he was able to get position with that crucifix, dude, he never let Burns back in that fight. And again, that's at a, against a high level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and Herbert Burns. Um, just 
just massacred a man on the ground, which is that that much more impressive. And it's a great story when you hear a guy in Panetta who, you know, worked very hard to get into the UFC, got cut. It's extremely difficult for a fighter to keep that confidence and motivation when you have to work your way up in the regional circuit and you have no to go doubt. to other promotions. It's just a totally different mindset. The way you get prepared, you know, get prepared for fights, maybe the attention that your coaches give you give you is different. So you need some kind of internal strength and determination to keep going and say, I want to get back in the UFC. I want to make another run. The fact that he was able to do this at 35 years old uh, is awesome. And it's a great story. Pineda seems like one of those nice guys and um, good to see him get that win. Couldn't have possibly put it better myself. We will have more coming up on UFC 252 with the great Raymond Peter Longo. But first, support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from the official electric razor of UFC Manscaped. You ever had that awkward moment, Ken Flo, where you had to like grapple with someone who had a full bush coming out of their singlet? Maybe not, but that could be because the Manscaped craze has really caught on. Thankfully, Manscaped has everything you need to keep your package nice and tidy. Manscaped truly is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Their top-notch ball trimmer. The Lawnmower 3.0 will keep you clean without any of those nicks and cuts. Manscaped has also partnered with a lot of top-tier MMA athletes you've heard of. The middleweight champ Israel Adesanya, chief among them, and many others who understand that hygiene matters, and they also know what it takes to be the best. Well, so does this revolutionary men's grooming company, Manscaped. They just redesigned this Lawnmower 3.0. Features a great ceramic blade, proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, which really works, by the way. The accidents truly will become a thing of the past. Beyond that, though, I say this almost every week for our listeners and viewers out there who happen to be men. You just don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using down there. I shave my head several times a week. I can assure you the lawnmower has a job. It's not my head. And we want to help you get there, too. So to get 20% off with free shipping, go to manscaped.com right now and use promo code AF. That's promo code AF for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. With that, let us get to the Ray Longo Minute. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. What is it? <laughs> what is it? What is it's it? Back. I it's can't back. I can't myself. So I saw you yesterday in Vegas. You're already back in Garden City, New York. What, you go straight from JFK to the gym so you could get your fake mustache? What are we doing? <laughs> uh, I was so upset I didn't bring my mustaches with me to Vegas <laughs> that I had to do this. this. This one goes out to Heidi Dean. Is there a nicer person in the UFC than Heidi Dean? Yes or no, John? Heidi's the best. She's the best, and she has she a crush a- on our uh, our video producer, Cody Merrow, I think. Oh, so. Cody Merrow. Oh, man, we're going to have to fight. <laughs> so does Ray. Fight for her. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. It's great to see you. I told our listeners before you came on the air that I got to touch your hair in Vegas, which was my <laughs> highlight. <laughs> so, uh, dude, how about this Marab Dwalish Willie? And I mean, you and him going back to back in that corner between rounds two and three. This has got to be the most energetic fighter in the UFC. Uh, he, he's got to have the best cardiovascular strength of any fighter in the UFC or right up there with it. Um, I'm really excited to see what the future holds now that I finally got to see him fight live for the first time. You got to be pretty happy. I'll tell you, man, ecstatic about Marab, uh, for a couple a bunch of reasons. I think when you meet him, you see the sincerity and the humbleness and the honesty. Uh, there's anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. He just, I think he answers perfectly from the heart. And that's not easy to do. But I think when you come from humble beginnings like he did, he's just so grateful and appreciative for anything. You just have to go the extra mile for this guy. But 
I will say it's the first time I was ever stymied in the corner, John, was with him. Yeah. He, yeah. I didn't know. He, Kenny, I, I've never experienced <laughs> this. He was so hyped up in the corner. <laughs> I, 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 I don't even know. I, I, he, I'm a, I short-circuited, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> One of the greatest thing, one of the greatest things I've ever seen was, uh, you know, serious MMA journalist Tommy Tollhold. Uh, he he tweeted this: If cocaine was a person, it would be Marab <laughs> Duala Dualashvili. I thought it was, I the, it was the most perfect tweet I've ever read. So shout out to Tommy Tollhold. Yeah, well, that's got to be accurate and ve- and very insightful. Too, so, because I'm going to tell you something. I question that to Matt. I go, on something? He, I, Penny, I, he, I went to say something and he started, and I was like, I don't know what the hell just happened. I mean, and I, the guy was out of control. He was, he, listen, the game. So the game plan was this. I think he. See, this is a problem of because there is like a little language barrier. He's getting good. I think he held to the game plan too much. I, when I wanted him to deviate, he was like, I love the game plan. I, I don't want to switch the game plan up. Yeah, I don't want to change it. What are you talking about? I'm oh, my God. Time. No, Ken, I'm telling you, John, it was in, you were there, but I, I'm, I've i never experienced that before. And the guy, he just shut me down. He's like, no, 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 keep doing it. Because what I love about him is, look, if you go back and look at his fights, he's always making improvements. So the game plan really was, don't rush in. He's not going to do anything to you if you don't overextend yourself. Yeah. And that little blitz he had, we had a couple of things for that that he didn't do, but right. he was never in any da- he was never in any harm. And I think Marab realized the importance of this fight, and it is a big name. This guy, like again, comes from humble beginnings. He knows the guy fought for the title. Could have very well won the title that first fight. Yeah. Very close fight. Knocked out a lot of good people. Dillashaw, you know, he's just coming off a knockout. He's a tricky, tough guy. So. For Marab to remain that patient, uh, for a guy like him, who's jacked up on cocaine, like Tommy <laughs> Cole says, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can, that's like telling a guy on coke, no, no, tell you, slow it down a little bit. You know? <laughs> can you take it down a notch? And the guy's just racing all over the place. No, this was insanity to the max. I if you need a shtick, if you need a shtick, you should, you should kind of have him on like, like some kind of a chain, like you're holding him back from the <laughs> octagon as he walks out, and then just like unleash him. Yeah, that's what... That's what you should do. But listen, man, that's the first time I've ever seen someone with a wrestling heavy game plan uh, take it to John Dodson like that. I, I mean, really, you, you know, you do you see Dodson kind of s- struggle like that and get tired. But I, I think Dodson was kind of waiting for Marab to get tired and slow down and and allow him to get the timing to land those shots. And it just it just never happened. I mean, it, yeah. Mar- Marab's just nonstop, dude. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll tell you, Dodson, again, if he if he's he's waiting for you, yeah. you know, if you just stay busy, I just want him to be busier than Dodson, which isn't hard to do, but busier and not get in trouble. Because right. Rob has, and if you go back and look at his past fights, he does have a tendency to start rushing in. And that's where Dodson was, is, I, I believe, is the most dangerous. Yes. You know what I mean? So Wait for that uh, counter shot. Yep. I mean, he really listened during the camp, but... I did try to say, come on, let's pick it up just a little. I mean, I could. my other thing was maybe he could eat those shots and wouldn't even phase him. I don't know. But if you run in blind, you know, the shot you don't see gets you. And that that was what I was worried about. Right. Mm. But I, when I went in to just deviate a little bit, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, he reiterated what I was telling him, like, for the last two weeks. I mean, it's Kenny crazy. I mean, literally crazy. 
It's crazy that he ended up two for 20 on his takedown attempts and was just so dominant overall. And Dodson, Kenny, too, with just the speed and the package that he brings to the table to Ray's point is just a tricky Uh, guy to fight. Sorry. Sorry about that. So, Ray, in terms of Marab's ceiling, right? So, you know, he was two for 20 on his takedowns, but I think that's sort of neither here nor there. I mean, he was totally dominant. I got to think you're super encouraged given this matchup, given how tricky it is, given how fast Dodson is, given his credentials in the UFC. I know you coach the number one contender in this division, but I just feel like Marab is going to be like among the most avoided guys at 35. Well, look, you did ask me that I think the under-over was going to be 12. I said under. So we right. know Dotson, he's hard to keep down. But if you could blend it in and make the guy work, even what he did to him against the cage, he must have landed 20 knees to the back of his legs. He was kicking his calf. I mean, he was beating him up, you know, in a different manner than we used to see him. But he definitely, uh, he made him pay. And you could see that Dotson was wearing down in the third. So if that's a five-round fight, that's a nightmare because the other guy could just keep going. So uh, I, I really loved what I saw. I loved the patience. I loved the intelligence. Uh, again, I love the corrections he, he's made from the first UFC fight. Remember Ricky Simon? He was jumping over him. He was like a, a wild man. Yeah. You know, but now he's, he's a little more patient. And now when he gets his hands on you, it's not, you're not going to get rid of him that easy. So, uh, and I love the relationship between him and Aljo. And again, Aljo, you know, he really mentors that guy. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and with that, I do want to give a shout out to Pumi and uh, another guy, Vilson. Uh, is that better? Oh, sorry. You seem to have lost your video. Oh, no. There he is. There I mean, come on, Raymond. That. Sorry, Jesus. man. No, no. So, uh, but he <laughs> did have this kid, Pumi Nakuda, which is, the kid's fantastic. Yeah. I think I introduced you to him when you, you saw did. him. But yep. look, at, look at the size of him and the height for Dotson was perfect. And he's, that kid's definitely going to go somewhere very shortly. And he had another, uh, I think Albanian guy, Vilson, uh, oh man, I'm blacking out on his last name, but another Southpaw heavier than him. So he had power and he had speed for this camp. And he, again, he followed the game plan really to a T. Uh, and it was just, uh, I was, I don't know. I was, it was fascinating. Look, and I think again, the, uh, I think the relationship he has with Aljo to me is similar to Kane and DC. You know, they just push each other. They both complement each other in different ways. And I, it's just, it's just really nice to watch. It really was. If you go back and listen to his interviews after the fight, I think you'll be really impressed. He's like, again, he's always just, he does the right thing. He's just a great kid. He is a great kid. And he is one of many Georgians who are really making their presence felt in the UFC. And if he didn't have such a great nickname, the machine, I think you could you call him cocaine personified. I don't know if the UFC would let you do that. Can you imagine like no, Bruce a- Buffer saying the number 15 ranked Bantamweight contender, cocaine personified, Marab, Wallace Willie. I think I got it. Marab, the cocaine cowboy. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. He said he I get, oh, he's definitely 100% drug-free, so I don't want to go yeah. down that route. But I got to tell you, Tommy Toehold, I agree with the guy 100%. Because <laughs> while he's so good, I, Kenny, I'm telling you, when I went in there the first time, <laughs> we're doing this. This is great. I can't. I mean, I'm like, oh man, veteran. He's sitting there. He's, how am I doing? Am I doing? I mean, this guy was screaming at me in the corner 
on how, what a good time he was having. He loved the game plan. Right. He's he that high it. off of life. I love uh, it. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Never seen that guy in a bad mood, Kenny, ever. I would, that would actually screw me up if I saw him down in the dumps. He's just, I don't know. You, I don't know. You just got to love the guy. It's, it's a awesome. weird, it's a, he's refreshing in this day and age. He really is, you know, of, you know, people that are narcissistic and entitled to everything. Right, right. You know, just, it's a crazy world out there. Here's a guy just thanking everybody. He's so fortunate to be doing what he loves to do. Mm. And that's the way it should be, man. I, I don't yeah. know. I think we could all learn from him. I really do. So it was, a great, it was a great, great night. I'd be curious to hear from our listeners at Anik Florian Pod. Who has the best gas tank in MMA right now? I know it's sort of hard to quantify, but when you look at the offensive output of, of a guy like Marab Dwalashvili, find me a better gas tank in MMA right now than Marab. I mean, maybe there are guys on his level. I'm not sure there's anybody better. Hey, so they usher you out of the arena pretty quickly after the win, yes? Yeah, oh, right out. So in terms of Stipe and DC, do you go back to your hotel room and watch it there? How did that play out for you? Yeah, we went back to the hotel. We just caught that fight. We So he has to do media after that. So when we were in the media room, we we asked to stay if we could watch the uh, Sugar fight, Sugar O'Malley and uh, Vera fight. Right. And then uh, we took a, you know, they have a limo that takes you back to the hotel and we watched the DC fight, which was a great fight. Great fight. What'd you think? Uh, I thought, you know... I think it was, you know, close, but I, I the score was definitely correct. I think, right, right, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was, but it's a, I don't think the score was indicative of what a back and forth fight it was. But I think you had to give the rounds to Stipe. I mean, he really he looked sharper on the boxing. But man, I tell you, hats off to DC, and I tell you, this detached retina and the eye poking, what a what a shame. I mean, for both guys, because you know, uh, he uh, Stipe got poked first, right in the first round. I'm like, oh yeah. man, I hope this doesn't affect it, and then. DC got poked and it looked like that definitely affected because, you know, he said he, I know in the interview, he said he couldn't see, uh, he was seeing black. So that, that's got to suck, man. When you got a, a big guy like Stipe in front of you, you know, who knows how to punch and leverages shots and you can't see that thing. So listen, the guy, I, look, I love both guys, obviously Stipe I'm closer to, but, uh, yeah. Uh, DC just got nothing, but I mean, that's a hall of famer and his resume is second to none. You know what I mean? So I think the guy's done it all. Uh, and he's got accolades that nobody else is ever going to get probably. Yeah. So, uh, I know you didn't stick around for Mizuki fighting this weekend, but I'm still here in Las Vegas. I'm excited to see her fight. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I was 12 days. I was, I was struggling. Yeah, right I really did have to get back. It was a, you know, and I'm going to tell you, I got, I started feeling sick the afternoon of Mirage. So I was telling Matt, they're going to have to mic you up. I didn't think I was oh, man. it. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know. How do you feel you, now? No, I feel really good now. And then your mind starts going on you. So I'm going, holy shit, I made it 10 days. I'm going to, I'm going to get hammered now. And I don't know. I just pulled it to, uh. Pulled it together at the last minute. Somebody got me uh, I had a little uh, rectal problems. So somebody got me some Imodium and saved okay. me. No, well, Kenny, thank I you for God, the I details. Three pairs of underwear and three pairs of pants. I thought, <laughs> I, I thought I was going through all of them, man. I was like, this is, I was telling Sarah, I'm fucking rude. And I get there and I'm asking if diarrhea is a sign of COVID. <laughs> thinking, um, I, I, you know, my head is out of, out of control. And then of course. everything started, uh, you know, I was tipped around but uh between feeling like that and marab hammering me in the corner with enthusiasm right i didn't right. know what to do this He's is the so, content we need ray longo thank you for exactly. that exactly. yeah yeah 
Yeah. People say I need to go on the Joe Rogan experience. What we really need is Ray Longo talking about his. Daya Ray. Yeah. There you go. Throw a couple of, throw a couple of F-bombs out for uh, our audience. I have, I have cussed an awful lot today, Ray. <laughs> I have cussed an awful lot today, Ray. All right. Always uh, great to have Ray Longo here on the Anakin Florian podcast. It's the main event challenge. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Oh, it is time for the main event challenge. We are joined by the duck Ian Parker on social media, Ian Parker MMA. So it was 99-94 Team Florian. Team Anik, of course, was in dire need of a winning week in courtesy of Ian's pick on Marlon Chito Vera at plus 265. We indeed win the week five to two. That Cheeto play worth three points in our scoring system, as many of you know. So it is now 101 to 99. Team Florian still in control of the board. I wanted to propose a new rule to you guys. I feel like when you control the board, as in you have the lead, you should have the authority to pick second. So I don't know. I'm going to have Ken Flo pick second on all three of these. We can take that conversation off the air. But Ian, I feel like if you have the lead, you should be able to pick second. So yeah, it's like champion. Yeah, it's like champion. Yeah, no, I, no, 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 I agree with you, but I agreed with that statement like four weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a fucking terrible rule to drop. <laughs> <laughs> I got a really good idea. How about we just, Kenny, you just don't even have to pick. You could pick after the fight. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. how good I am. You just All pick right. after the fight. That's fine. All right. Yeah, so out of two I. people, I want to pick third. Anyway, so we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we'll, we'll table... We'll table the new rule, at least for now. But, Ian, it oh, stands for reason that you bro. could have the lead as early as next week. All right, let's make some picks. It's UFC Fight Night, Munoz versus Edgar. And then, time permitting, we'll get some thoughts from the Duck on UFC 252. All right, Mike Rodriguez, minus 230. Marcin Pracnio, plus 190. This is in the UFC light heavyweight division. Two guys who need a win. So, Pracnio had an eight-fight winning streak when he came into the UFC. But off to an 0-2 start in the octagon. Slow Mike Rodriguez out of Dorchester, Massachusetts. But just one win for him in four UFC starts, Ian. Feels like the loser could be finding a pink slip in the locker room. IP, who do you have? Yeah, I won't go into this too much. In a situation where I think the loser does go home, I think Vegas has the odds interestingly correct. Um, It's not often that you have a guy on a losing streak like this at minus 250. So I'm going to lean that way and go with – Mike Rodriguez here. Kempflo, what do you think? Rodriguez, Pracnio, I didn't think the line would be where it is. Any thoughts for us? You think I'm going to go against a kid from Dorchester? I mean, do you Uh, really think I'm going to? Come on. You didn't even have to ask me, kid. No, I think Mike Rodriguez um, is rightfully so the favorite. I I think he gets it done. Um, Important fight, though, man. A lot of nerves on the line, a lot on the line. Um, You know, Pracnio could, could pull it off, but I like Rodriguez in this one. All right, Rodriguez, the Joe Lozon train fighter trying to produce his second UFC win. That's a feature about the co-main event was to be Ovin St. Preux against Shamil Gamzatov. Let me get that right. Uh, but Gamzatov is out as of late last week and in steps Fortis MMA's Alonzo Menafield, who's the minus 155 favorite against OSP, who comes back at plus 125. This is the co-main. We'll need the round and the method of victory. Pretty incredibly and right for Alonzo Menafield, who can easily distance himself from that Devin Clark result if he can step up here and beat the credentialed Ovin St. Preux in a co-main event. How do you handicap this one? Huh. 
I think if you're up money going into this fight on a betting standpoint, you go with Ovin St. Pru here. I do think Alonzo Menfield can be a guy who could be an absolute freak in the division. But what we saw last time is that if he doesn't land that nasty shot early, his cardio just it wasn't there. Um, his punches lose a lot of steam. All that lactic acid, all those, those giant biceps he's got. You know, it, it's kind of hard to imagine him doing that to someone like Ovin St. Preux, who I think will be able to use his length here. I think the – I can't even speak today. I'm sorry. The clear path of victory for o OSP is getting this fight to the ground. And Menfield's takedown defense after the first round, not impressed. So if we were like three fights down the road and he was on a three-fight winning streak all yeah. by knockout against guys of this stature, I would say him all day. But as an underdog, I think OSP has value here. I think there's a huge difference in the ground game. Give me OSP round two by Von Fluchoke. I got to think that Fortis MMA's drill sergeant, Safe Saud, has not allowed Alonzo Menafield off the Versa climber since the end of that Devin Clark <laughs> fight. I'm not sure it'll pay dividends, Ken Flo, but for Ovin St. Pru, 24 and 14 is a pro right now. 22 UFC fights, one and done at heavyweight, and now going back down to 205 pounds and fighting a guy that he was not preparing for. I'm really intrigued by the matchup, but the masses need to know who you think wins it and how do they get it done. Well, n not only do the guys at Fortis MMA need to make sure that Metafield has been on the Versa climber, but also, you know, if you ever have a guillotine and, you know, you got OSP inside control or half guard, let go of the fucking thing. Please yeah, let right. go of the damn guillotine. Let right, know your, right. know your jujitsu. So hopefully he, he lets go of that thing, but you know what? I, I like Menafield here. I think OSP, you know, has never looked comfortable to me on the feet. And I, he just, he always looks a little hesitant. It, it, it's kind of, um, something that was a little surprising because I, I expected him to develop into a good striker and it just has never been that way it's never go gone down that way so for whatever reason but I, I do agree with Ian that he's gonna he could give fits um if he's able to get Metafield on his back I do think that's where OSP can win this fight um I I do think that Metafield uh in his last fight was actually engaging in unnecessary uh unnecessary grappling exchanges yes. I don't know what the heck he was doing there doing that when you're not used to it and doing it against another guy who's a pretty strong grappler I, I hope he learned a good lesson there. I do. I do think Menafield is a very dangerous uh, and heavy-handed striker. Um, I think if he's able to keep it on the feet, I think he takes OSP out of there uh, in around the second or third round. All right, Ken Flo on Menafield. Did you say second or third? Yeah. Did you need? Do you need a round? Well, do you need both. an action? How about we give him both? <laughs> Just give me both. <laughs> give you know me what? both. You know what? These rules. So. Can All right. First, can second, or third. How's fight? that? Yeah, I was going to say, just whatever. Listen, if, the, if Menafield wins either this fight or his next fight, he gets the points. It doesn't fucking matter. All right. I knew this was going to happen. Uh, I knew I knew this was going to happen on a Sunday after last night's card. John, you're looking toasty. I knew these rules were going to come in. Is, I also get the win if it's a no contest or a draw. But right. Right. Yeah, or, yeah, or if the fight doesn't happen. If one of them exactly. for COVID, Still a win. he gets two points. Yes. Uh, like I can't and round two, round three. Which one would you like? Ah, uh, you need a round, huh? Let's go dos. All right, round, round two. two. And because uh, Parker's panties are so firmly in a bunch, we're actually going to have you lead the main event, Ken Flo, if that's okay. Because I know you are convicted enough in your selections. You're third-party tracked. You're not afraid. I got that's this. Our that's our next segment, Parker's panties. I like that. I'm not wearing any for the record. Uh -huh. All right, so uh, Ken Flo is going to lead the main event. Because I don't think he much cares uh, to change his pick, depending on what Ian yeah. might or might not do. Pedro Munoz, 
worthy of this main event showcase, by the way. Minus 240. Frankie Edgar is plus 200. We will need the round of the method of victory. Little setup for you, Flo. So the last 13 fights for Frankie have been at featherweight, where in three championship chances, one interim, two undisputed, I believe. He was unable to break through, did not win the belt in the second division. Now going down to 135 pounds. And he's been light and managing the weight for a while because, of course, Pedro Munoz tested positive for COVID-19, which prevented this fight from happening on Fight Island. Now it's a five-round main event. You got Munoz, number five in the world. Seven of eight prior to his last fight were wins. Last fight, though, all the way back in June of 2019. That was a loss to the now number one contender, Aljamain Sterling. With that backdrop, Ken Flo, Munoz prohibitively favored here against Frankie. How do you see the main event going down? Man, uh, this is a tough one for me. I, I do think that Pedro Munoz is certainly going to be the fresher fighter. I think he's going to be the faster fighter. Uh, Brazilian jitsu black belt. He's, he's going to be dangerous on the ground as well. Um, but I, I think he does most of his best work if he's able to get on top. If he's not right into a guillotine, I think he would uh, definitely prefer to be on top, working to pass guard, ground and pound. I think he's way more effective from the top position on the ground. Now, uh, as far as Frankie, he's got a ton of experience. But what I think made Frankie such a great fighter at 155 pounds and also at 145 pounds is the fact that he had the speed advantage over most of his guys. I think that is gone at 135 pounds. I also think that mentally getting down to 135 pounds is tough. I think Frankie was wrestling in college at like 149. So he's wrestling in college at 149, and here he is later in his career, and you got to cut down to 135 pounds. That is not easy. I think Frankie can do it, and I'm sure he certainly has changed up his diet and all that stuff since then, since his college days. But doing it later in your career, like I did at 145 like a dummy, uh, can can take its toll on your body. So um, I'm a little concerned for that. Sure. I, I This is a tough one, man. I, I do think that – uh, if it goes to decision, I like Frankie. Um, I, I could see Munoz maybe hurting Frankie on the feet. He still has some serious power. No doubt. Uh, but, man, it's hard for me to go against a, a legend like a Frankie Edgar. I, I hope he's able to pull it off. Munoz is a fantastic fighter. Definitely wouldn't be surprised if he's able to get the win and do it impressively. But let's go with Frankie Edgar. I think this is going to be a, a motivated Frankie Edgar, a guy who's had a lot of time to prepare for this one. Yeah. Uh, let's go with Frankie Edgar by decision. All right, Ken Flo likes Frankie Edgar, plus 200 over 25 minutes. Ian Parker, the floor is yours. Yeah, this is a really tough fight. Um, Kenny pretty much broke it down, I think, perfectly. The only thing that I believe here is that Frankie would be the better wrestler, but to Kenny's point, the speed is not the same factor that it was in the other divisions. It's not as unpredictable, Uh, and I don't know if Frankie can hurt Pedro on the feet. You know, the in-and-out style in this division is very different. Uh, and I don't think Frankie is better than Aljamain Sterling at all. Um, and Pedro fought really well and hard against Aljamain. It's hard to go against the legend. Uh, and I was really thinking about going Frankie. But now that Kenny is going Frankie, I could actually take a favorite for a change. So strategically, I'm going to take Pedro Pedro here. Um, listen, Frankie's chin is not what it used to be. He used to take a ton of damage and be able to bounce back. We're seeing that that's not the case anymore. And with this type of weight cut, to Kenny's point, this late in the career, I don't know if it's that bad of a weight cut. He's always been undersized, you know, almost, I think, for 45-2. But it's still a weight cut. It's still somewhere where, I mean, Kenny did a crazy weight cut at the end of your career. Kenny, you should come back and go up to middleweight. Fuck yeah, exactly. But, uh, I'll go to 35. 35. Here's my 30. real question. How much would Kenny have to cut right now to get to middleweight? Are we going to expose how fat you are right now? I just want to know. 
Uh, I'm just under middleweight right now. Yeah, I'm under middleweight. Say, I, about yeah, about I, 180, 181. I was going to say, you, yeah, you don't really look fat. So I, fuck you. I'm way over I'm that. Fat. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> way over that. Um, But yeah, I'm going to go Pedro here. It sucks to think that he could finish Frankie, but I'm going to go by TKO in round two at the moment. I hate that. It breaks my heart, but we're playing a game here and I got I got to beat Kenny. So it's not a game. It's not a game. Ian. You think Ian, it's a shame? It's life. It's Ian, life. there's no way you're north of 180 pounds right now, by the way. No, 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 no. But I'm close. Right. Right. Wait, you said 180? Oh, no, I'm a little above that, but I'm, I'm stocky. Right. No, I know. I know. You're well built. I'm, I'm well built. I'm. My dad always said we got we got that neck and shoulder thing. Why do you think I sit like this for every freaking thing? It's the traps, the shoulder, the beard covers the double chin. Come on, yeah. what do you? You don't think I see how Kenny tilts his fucking head? I know what's up. Well, and I know your dad's <laughs> famous quote is "Be the straw that stirs the drink, my man." And you're certainly that on this show. Before we let you go, I need your scorecard yeah. on Steep A and DC. Uh, <laughs> I. I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth when I say it was a close fight, but a clear win for Stipe. I, I, I felt, I felt that it, it was, it was a, a clear Stipe win in a lot of respects. How did you score it? Um, excuse me. It, you know, I, I think you just said it best. It, it, you are talking out of both sides of your mouth, but this is where it makes the most sense here. I thought DC won round four and won round one. Um, Round five, I really didn't know who won that fight, but it, I watched it back a couple of times, and I could totally see why they leaned Stipe. Uh, you know, man, that eye poke, I, I know DC mentioned that, what do you say, round three or round four, but it looked like that eye was already damaged prior to. Now, obviously, right. he's got he's got a cornea situation going on, so it was real, and which sucks. Both guys got poked in the eye, and you hate to see it, but uh, I thought it was closer than the way two out of the three judges scored it. Um, I don't want to get made fun of for saying how, how I thought the fight would have went, but right. yeah, I, I thought Stipe did win, but I didn't, I didn't think it was as those first two judges scored it. Um, and one last thing before you kick me off, I think people have to give Cheeto Vera a little bit more credit than thinking this was a freak ankle injury. Uh, I don't know if you guys already discussed this, but if you go watch, I think it was at two minutes and 54 seconds in yes. that kick um, for sure did damage. Cause right after that, you saw O'Malley, you know, and this doesn't mean O'Malley sucks. This doesn't mean the hype trains the rail. You know, that just means Cheeto hit him with the right kick in the right spot and smelt blood yeah. in the water. And when Cheeto's pissed off and you saw him, I've never seen him that angry. Um, it is what it is. O'Malley's got to get healthy, bounce back, and he's right back in the mix. No, no question. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. All right, that's a wrap on this episode. We'll be back next week, though, and Ian's going to be with us next week. Of course, we got uh, Alexander Rockage and Anthony Smith, I believe, a three-round <laughs> Middleweight, excuse me, light heavyweight main event. So uh, the hits keep on coming. I don't see a dark week in the UFC's future. Maybe there's one on the schedule, but uh, it's going to be a while. By the way, shout out to our VP of live production, Zach Candido, for putting your tweet on the air. Huh? You liked that, didn't you? You know what? I'm not going to lie to you. I went to go to the bathroom and I come back and all of a sudden I'm getting a bunch of tweets. And one of my buddies who's recently since watching the podcast become, you know, a bandwagon UFC fan. He writes, Parker, holy fuck, man. I, I had to do a double take and rewind it. Is that really you? I go, well, dickhead, it's Twitter, and there's a picture there. And what are you talking about? He sent me the screenshot. I text John right away. I was like, you're the man. This was cool. But now my expectations are I have to be funnier than Bilal Muhammad for every single fight in order to get back on Twitter. So, um, And I will never forget that duck emoji ever again. I'm so disappointed in myself. But and the, you're the man. The other, thing, the other thing, too, a little at Anik Florian pod wouldn't hurt, right? duck emoji and then at Anik Florian pod. You, know, you think you know, that's going to prevent you from getting on bro, television? 
now, but you know what's crazy? Is this the first time I didn't post that? I always do duck. I oh, you can ask Cody. I always tag the podcast and both of you guys. The one time I didn't do it is the one yeah. time I got yeah. on. So yeah. um, my apologies. Uh, that was <laughs> I didn't expect it. Listen, well, hey, I didn't expect me to get on. What do you think? I, I'm the only one who doesn't have a fucking blue check, and I'm on. I'm on pay per view. So you know, I'm sorry, but Zach Indio, hey. you're the man. Thank you. Hey, quack, quack. all good. Congratulations, big moment. We got to get on out of here. We'll talk to you next Monday. Thank you to our guests, of course, Ian Parker and Raymond Longo. This has been a Cody Merrow production, courtesy of Veracity Media Group. We'll talk to you in less than a week. Thanks for everybody listening, subscribing, watching. Do all those things. Tell your friends. Don't text and drive. Try to wear a mask if you can. Uh, Don't shame people if they're wearing one and you don't think they should. And uh, we'll talk to you in less than a week. Until then, you'll fucking better.